tired SLP, I know just what you need. Go grab some caffeine, find your favorite seat. It's time for coffee, tea, and three SLPs. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to coffee, tea, and three SLPs. Hey, guys. Two part two. All about Val's part two, mm-hmm. bilingual edition. <laughs> yes. I knew you'd, you'd put that noise in there. Um, yeah, I, I have tons of energy tonight. It's mm-hmm. another another late night recording, 7.30 p.m. Another unhinged uh, recording. <laughs> very unhinged. Yeah, except <laughs> this time, instead of Julie drinking alcohol she's drinking watered down Gatorade <laughs> replenish all of your liquid loss yeah I did uh I had food poisoning today so I'm re- I'm in recovery recovery mode oh what a um, champ and she's still here yeah, she still showed here. up this was this podcast recording was the thing that kept me holding on today <laughs> and nothing else was <laughs> holding dear- on oh uh, yeah for dear life I was like I'll make it to this recording <laughs> <laughs> crawling on the ground Gatorade. <laughs> oh well welcome back we have so much more to say about evaluations let's get okay. to the stories Julie do you have another evaluation story yeah so for our dirty chai this week I have another eval story this was from my time when I was in the hospital so we were giving a swallow eval to a trach patient, and um, we got to the cottage cheese portion of the evaluation, <laughs> and he took a little spoonful of cottage cheese, and then, like, I heard a, <clears throat> and then a pew pew of two cottage cheese lumps comes flying at me, and I had to dodge them, so oh, <laughs> memorable. From memorable his trach, specifically. From his trach, from his trach, yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so... If, I'm sure you met SLPs, you know this, but uh, never, never stand in the line of the trach. Well, the grad students, attention grad students, PSA, yeah, don't, don't stand on fire or else you will get cottage cheese chunks. I love as a trach. profession, we have a cottage cheese portion of an evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. Or like the Lorna Dunes. I feel like oh, the yeah. Lorna Dunes are like a cornerstone of our of um, the med setting. Yeah, <laughs> med It's the um, little cookies. The little the little uh, cookie. They're like, yeah, they're like plain cookies. They're like kind of like Biscoffs, right? Yeah, yeah. Except, um, yeah, they they actually taste pretty good. Uh, well, that's disgusting, and I'm sorry mm-hmm. that happened to you, Julie. <laughs> it's okay. Learning experience. That's gross. Um, Kyla, you mentioned you also had a story. Yeah. Um, so I was assessing this very cute fifth grader um, who's autistic, and he's just a, a very sweet kid. And um, he just said a lot of funny things that maybe like are just funny in the moment. But I was reading to him one of the self directions um, of the instructions of the subtest. And he said, I don't know, Miss Amick. Are you sure about this? Oh, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> Shut the book, walks oh, out of the you know what? Yeah, job. we're done. 
you got a good point, kid. I'm not so sure about this either. <laughs> Is his risk tolerance just extremely low? Yeah, he would just like say really funny things. Um, like once I I was um I would usually see him in a group with another fifth grader. And um once this other fifth grader was like coughing, this was pre-COVID, and he was he just like coughed a little bit. And so this fifth grader um, said to me, Miss Amy, can you check his pulse to make sure he's okay? Oh. And I was like, I think he's fine. He's just coughing, oh. but thank you for the consideration. Oh my gosh. He sounds very responsible. He mm-hmm. was um, not responsible, but he was very sweet. Oh. <laughs> How cute. All right, Brittany, bring us to your Facebook stories. Okay. I have many more Facebook stories. I chose three more funny ones for this week. There was a story that an EI therapist posted um, and they said during an EI eval, a child pulled down their diaper and pooped on the OT's appointment calendar. (laughs) (laughs) It's about to be a shitty week, right? (laughs) Julie, you would know. (laughs) That is so unfortunate. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, I don't know what I would do if a child pooped on my appointment calendar. Just throw it all away. Just just throw everything that you have away and just go home. Yeah. Don't even finish the work. <laughs> Stop. Don't go back tomorrow. <laughs> Take go live off. in the woods. Take your personal days. Use them. Reassess. Come back when you're ready. <laughs> yeah, that's a sign from some higher being. If a child poops, literally poops on your appointment calendar. I think you need to reassess your career. Oh my God. Yeah. What if that OT was like, maybe it's time for a career change. And that day the pooping <laughs> happened and it was life changed. You're like, this is it. This is the sign. That kid I don't want my stuff to get pooped on. What ever. an impact they had. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what's worse, oh the gosh. cottage cheese, the, probably the poop. The poop is worse. I, I think, think the poop is worse. The poop mm-hmm. is worse. Um, there's another story. Uh, an SLP was giving the receptive one word vocabulary test and she showed the picture for um, green or she said greenhouse and she asked the kid to pick out the greenhouse and the kid responded with, oh, that's the special medicine store that smells funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> This is either like a Colorado story or a Massachusetts story. A hundred percent. I mean, wow. kids not wrong, just a different kind. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's another story where, which is sad, funny, also related to our conversation about school-based SLPs, some people not really understanding what we do. So this SLP said a principal wrote a letter of recommendation for me and said I was a PE teacher. (laughs) Like what? You just have an acronym with the letter P in it and and that's your job. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I wonder. um, Yeah, I wonder if she like had to talk to the principal after or if she just had to send it along as is or I don't know that sucks that's yeah, that would be so awkward like hey so I don't teach gym <laughs> I am a speech therapist so funny it's crazy I'm actually never even in the gym <laughs> ever don't even know where it is 
<laughs> Unless I'm hitting kids with dodgeballs, I'm not in the gymnasium. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our weekly sip. So this week it is evals part two. So we're going to take some time to talk about um, what we do or what we keep in mind while we're preparing for an evaluation. And Kyle's going to take us through some bilingual considerations. So what she does to prepare for a bilingual eval, because we didn't really get into that last time. So maybe we could start there. Kylo, so what do you do to prep for your bilingual evaluations? So for bilingual evaluations, I get a lot of bilingual evaluation requests and they've all been in Spanish. We'll talk about if it's like another language a little bit later. Um, and I'm lucky my school, um, most of the students are bilingual. So the school generally had like the staff at the school generally have a good understanding of bilingual language development because they see it across um, multiple ages and levels and like with most of the students. But if you're at a school that doesn't have as many bilingual or English language learners, then you might have to do some staff education um, about what bilingual uh, language development looks like, um, especially if you're getting over referral. So I would start there if your school uh, isn't, if the general staff isn't as knowledgeable about this stuff. But so here's some considerations that, that I like to know about before even going to any IEP process or not before even um, going through with anything formal. If a teacher just comes to me and says, Hey, I can't understand this kid. And if I inquire further and they're like, I don't know if it's speech or language or if it's like an English language learner thing or whatever, um, I'll get a lot of these like vague, like I can't understand them or they're not really talking. So before even going to the IEP process, these are some things that I like to ask the teacher. So the first question I want to know is how long have they been in school and specifically in school in person, right? So we don't know. If a student was really online um, last year, uh, I want to know what their attendance and their participation was like, because there are a lot of students that like didn't really tune in last year. So they might have missed an entire year, a year and a half of instruction if they weren't really, if they didn't have like a great situation where they could um, attend school online. Um, so I want to know about that because that might really be impacting them. Um, I want to know if they're not from the U.S., I want to know when did they come to this country? And I want to know, did they attend school in their home country? Because I've had, um, last year I had an evaluation request where there was the student who was in fourth grade and she was falling behind in everything academically. Um, she couldn't even like count. She didn't know like basic math facts. Um, the teachers were very concerned. And so I inquired a little more and I learned that she came to the country in the middle of second grade. Um, but that, and that was right before we went out for COVID. And then she was barely online for all of third grade during COVID. And she also doesn't know any English. So she's not going to really pick up much from that online learning. And she didn't attend any school in her home country before coming here in second grade. 
Um, so it was actually a pretty sad situation, but she's getting a lot of support. So, but with that knowledge, I was like, okay, I'm not assessing this girl. Like she needs to be in school. Like she needs time. Like, of course she's not knowing her basic math facts because she never learned math in any language. So like, that makes sense. Also, if a friend is explaining something to her, even in Spanish, she might not get it because she's starting her first year of education, basically in fourth grade. So oh my I gosh, really, that is crazy. Yeah. So I, and the teachers were very concerned and I, I understand, you know, why, but, um, I was like, I, you know, we decided as a team, we're not taking this through the IEP process, but she's getting a lot of intervention and small group work. So question on that. Did you, do you find sometimes, um, like if you get a case similar to that, where maybe the student didn't get formal education from the country they came from, and this is kind of their first time in school. So what do you do in terms of RTI, like, or response to intervention, or does that kind of have to get thrown out the window and you create a totally individualized plan or an individualized response before even assessing them. Cause then we don't, you wouldn't really know how they're responding to education or how they're accessing the curriculum if they haven't really had that education. Right. Right. And I think that's why even testing using like the Spanish self or something isn't always appropriate because some of these kids have never had any sort of education in Spanish. So that's always a consideration if you are doing multiple tests or bilingual tests that they might do lower on both of them because they're not, they haven't really gotten either side, you know, but as far as like the response to intervention, I actually don't do a whole lot of that at my school. They do, they, they do a lot of intervention at my school, but it's usually with the special educator or the ESOL teacher. Um, And I think those are really great people to collaborate with. But as far as like me working with a student before the IEP, like if, if we feel like, like in this situation with the fourth grade girl, it wasn't appropriate to continue with the IEP process, then I'm, you know, I can be there to consult with whoever is working with her, but I'm, I don't really work directly with her in any way. Mm-hmm. But another consideration, um, and this also led me to not go through with the IEP process with this girl is I like to know, do these kids have friends? And what are they like during lunch and recess, Mm. especially with other kids who speak their language? So this girl, yeah. So this girl like had a lot of friends. She was popular. She was talking to them. She was playing with them. So that's a good indicator of like, okay, like this, you know, these kids might not need um, intervention from us through the IEP process. And another one I like to ask is, do their friends understand them? So, um, like I have a a kid, um, a Spanish speaker who's working on our tick and his teacher has said to me, uh, when I can't understand them, like I ask him to tell it to a bilingual partner and they can't understand him either. And so that's a big indication that they need more help if the, the, their peers are not understanding them in this language and going back to this fourth grader, the teacher told me she needs constant translation from a peer okay, cool. Like that, that tells me, okay, great. Like she's saying what she needs to, to the peer, the peer understands and the peer is telling her it back. Like, that's great that, you know, that you don't need me for that. Like 
you just need to work on your English skills or, you know, continue communicating in, in the language that, that you need to at that moment. Um, so those are our questions that I really like to know before moving anything further. In that situation, would you recommend that the school provide an interpretation service before they go straight into a speech therapy referral? Hmm. Because I know there are certain, um, like, parents who come into an IEP meeting, all, like, all families have the right to an interpreter and translator. And if that's, if they mark that, then it's legally required that they get interpretation and translation services. So have you seen maybe a parent advocate that their child has an interpreter or translator with them in the classroom? Interesting. I haven't come across that and I haven't um, heard of a parent requesting that. I mean, mm -hmm. luckily, most of the kids in the school speak Spanish. So there's always a bunch of kids in the class that mm -hmm. um, can help them out. But yeah, if you come into the school and you're speaking any other language other than Spanish or English, mm -hmm. you're not going right. to have a single peer that speaks your language. Right. And I think that's more where the ESOL teacher comes in. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously every, I, right. Every kid has a right to, to ESOL services. Yeah. Teachers, yeah. Right? I, I know in my old district, if any, if it was indicated that any um, language was spoken at home to whatever degree, even if the student was very proficient in English, if it was marked on the home forms that there was another language that automatically qualified them for an, at least an assessment by the ESL teacher to see if yeah. they needed ESL service, like those English as second language services. Um, so I think I, uh, I want to say that's like federal education law. I'm not a hundred percent sure if it varies state by state, but I think it's a federal level mandate. Yeah. So I would just go through them. I mean, I don't know if schools like have the resources to get everything mm -hmm. translated. Um, I think, you know, a teacher should just be aware of like maybe, well, like Google translate isn't great, but I feel like there's better mm -hmm. apps out there that could maybe help you translate um, mm -hmm. some materials, um, but then definitely working with the ESOL teacher and making sure that kid need gets the support that they need. Mm -hmm. yeah. And ESOL, In ESOL, sorry, English of speakers of other languages. Some some people go by ELL or ESL or or other things, but my school calls it ESOL. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking about your point earlier too about staff education. And I've worked with wonderful ESOL, ELL, MLL teachers, but oftentimes they don't, and sometimes it's not feasible for them to speak every other language, right? That their children or their mm -hmm. students are speaking. And a problem that I've run into in the past is we get a new student, the student maybe just speaks Spanish at home, they get sent to and get an ELL assessment, but then the ELL teachers are only testing them in English. Right. And mm -hmm. then they get ELL service, which is probably great, but then there's no way to know if they also need language mm -hmm. support from, from an SLP. 
that can be really right, hard. Right. So what I would say, if there are concerns of a speaker who doesn't speak um, the majority language at the school, and there's no like staff members that also speak that language, um, you really need to rely on parent input. So I would really mm. just ask all of the above, all of the questions that we talked about that I asked the teacher, just ask to the parent, ask them if mm. they have any siblings, cousins, friends that they're around and like, how does their development kind of look compared to them? And typically we like to see a student in school for at least a year. Um, if they're new to the language to give them sufficient time to learn before like mm -hmm. taking them that further step into like possibly an IEP um, through the IEP process if they need that. Um, but of course there's ex exceptions uh, mm -hmm. such as like diagnosis in another country. I've had um, last year, a parent showed up with speech therapy notes in Spanish from Venezuela. Um, so I was like, oh. cool, I'll take this. Let's, you know, we're going to go th right through the IEP process. This kid doesn't mm -hmm. speak any English, but let's go through because he had speech therapy in Venezuela. So let's, you know, get it started here. And then of course, parent concern. If there's any parent concern regarding their development, that's definitely an indication that, you know, they might need to go through the IEP process. Um, and you really need to kind of dig and ask all those specific questions, um, to figure out, you know, where mm -hmm. kind of where, where they should, if they're where they should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like those bilingual values just have so many added layers to them on top of all that, all the layers of a monolingual eval, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's really when, intense. um, when, um, interviews are, are super, super important. Um, and interviewing with an interpreter, it's very mm -hmm. important. Um, mm -hmm. I know like my dis district has uh, language links that you can use that we use for all of our IEP meetings and everything. I'm not sure if other school systems have, uh, interpreter translation services, but that's definitely important to talk to the, the parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like talking to the parents a lot because I noticed typically what sometimes what I'll do is I'll get ready for my eval first. So this isn't for a bilingual eval, but any eval and I'll be like, um, okay, here, I'll go through their file and figure out what assessments they've had in the past. I'll talk to the teachers. I'll see if it's a student I've had, I'll see what we've been working on and determine. But sometimes like I'll schedule a parent interview and the parent is very concerned about something that I didn't even, that didn't even cross my mind. So I try to find an assessment if I haven't already that incorporates some piece that addresses their concern, especially with the high schoolers. Um, a lot of it is self-advocacy and social skills that they start getting really concerned about. Um, so making sure there's some sort of social component, even if I wasn't initially concerned and that wasn't something we were working on, I, over time, I just put way more weight into that parent interview for my eval. Yeah. And sometimes they'll tell you things that the teacher or other school staff might not know. I've been in a few different situations where I'm meeting with the parent before an evaluation, and then they mention oh, this child actually has really significant medical history and they were born with mm. hydrocephalus and all of these things. 
that mm-hmm. will have a significant impact on speech and language skills and, and also change maybe the approach that I take or who I'm collaborating with. Mm-hmm. You, there's no way to know unless you actually meet with the parent. And I think there's an element of trust there too. You want to have the parent trust you enough so they can share that personal information about their child with you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's definitely intimidating to share personal mm-hmm. information to an entire IEP team. And especially mm-hmm. for us, like our IP meetings have been online. So parents mm-hmm. usually like, we're all like online and we're like through teams and we're looking at each other, but the parent usually calls in or we call the parents. So they don't even see us or like, you know, and so that can definitely mm-hmm. be intimidating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was this one time where um, this student was referred to me for a screening, and I'm glad we started with just a screening, not a full eval, because I talked on the phone. I went to go observe this student. He was in kindergarten, and the whole class period that I was observing him in, he said nothing. Then I screened him, said totally nothing. I was like, oh my gosh. This kid's like, even the receptive tasks, he was not responding in any way. And I was like, oh boy, this is like how is this kid's language must be pretty impacted if he's not getting anything I'm saying and he's just an English speaker. And when I, and at first I was going to give him this whole gamut of assessment and, you know, refer him for some RTI support. But when I talked to dad at home, he was like, oh, yeah, he's super talking about home. We just, the issue is we can't get him to stop talking sometimes. And I got him to actually send me a video of the student. And I was like, could, and I could get a language sample out of that video because they're playing and watching TV and doing lots of different things. And I was like, whoa, this kid's language is amazing. Why aren't they talking in school at all? So then I, it helped me start thinking like, maybe this is like selective mutism, or maybe this is, some other like anxiety based thing going on where they, where they don't want to talk in school uh, to anybody so that that was one instance where that parent interview was super important for the eval process or lack of eval process because yeah. i would have never known and that's such a cool idea to get the parent to send you a video of them i've heard mm-hmm. of that ha- um happening for like uh, stuttering or fluency evals, mm-hmm. but I haven't yeah. really considered doing that for a language eval. So that's great. Mm-hmm. If you need more information, mm-hmm. something else I just thought of that a parent doesn't always, in my experience, a parent ha- doesn't always share is a third language. Um, oh, so I think it's okay. very important to know your community and know kind of areas where, these kids might be from or their families might be from and -hmm. kind of pay attention if there's like kind of a a third maybe indigenous language that they speak Um, there's several families in this area that are from Mexico and their parents like can speak Spanish but the parents first language might be something else like Mixtec or a completely Mm -hmm. different language and they don't always Mm -hmm. disclose that information So it's also important to ask, are there any other languages or are there any other dialects that you speak? Because sometimes they like consider it a dialect. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes parents don't always want to mention that. So that's maybe um, some good information that you might want to get in more of like a one-on-one interview. 
but uh, that's definitely some important information because maybe these kids are trilingual and they're not really getting as much Spanish input at home as you might think they are. So maybe that's why they didn't do as well on the Spanish assessment or something like mm. that. Um, so there yeah. might be a third language at home that they're speaking. I wonder about SLPs in other countries, like European SLPs, because I feel like European education, Everyone you're usually learning how to speak fluently. so many languages. <laughs> yeah. How do you even, I don't know, how do you even um, assess when all your students are learning like four different languages and at once. They probably have a better <laughs> grasp of language development than we do over here. Our, oh our, yeah, maybe. Like, yeah, I don't know. And the SLP probably also speaks 17 languages. So they're true. like, Definitely. no problem. Yeah, that's so true. That must be, those must be some thick eval reports. <laughs> like, especially like if you get an Arctic kid, or you're assessing for our ticket phonology in like five different languages. Oh yeah, oh my I'm, god. I'm picturing oh my the Venn diagram of English and Spanish phonemes. Imagine if right. you have so many more circles oh god. in the Venn diagram. Right. That'd That's very crazy. complex. Yeah. Well, let's definitely. go into how do we use this dynamic assessment or these quote unquote informal assessments to assess these kids? Mm -hmm. What are your favorite dynamic assessment materials? Kyla, can you talk about what dynamic assessment is and how, how you do it? Because I feel like I heard that term for so many years and didn't really understand it. So maybe can you give us an example of what that means? So what I think of as dynamic assessment is basically just looking at the entire child um, and not just looking at a standardized assessment, but really getting into that like interview and social and teacher interview and interacting with the kid, maybe in, um, observing them during like lunch or recess or, you know, really getting to know this kid as a whole person. And mm -hmm. that kind of assessment style is important for any kid, but especially important for bilingual learners because they might not, the, the standardized assessments that we use are m more often than not, not normed um, for bilingual learners. So we can't like truly rely on those. So using dynamic assessment by looking at the entire kid and all of these um, interview questions and all getting like, you know, all of the people that really know the child involved um, is, so helpful for figuring mm -hmm. out if they need services. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think another big piece of it is what we talked about last week too, where it's the test teach retest model. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And using things yeah. like non-word repetition and, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff, which I actually don't do, but I, like, just, I don't know, it slips my mind, but it, I've heard that it's really, really good for um, kind of testing their ability to recall and retain information that's not language-based because they're non-words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in, mm -hmm. interestingly about non-word repetition tasks, they're quick and they're very informative, but you want to make sure you're using one that has been made for the language you're testing them in. So for example, oh, non-words yeah. and span, you want, yep. if it's a Spanish speaking right. kid, you want Spanish mm -hmm. non-words that fan follow the Spanish phonology. Mm -hmm. Right. I yeah. use non-word repetition tasks because sometimes I have to do the C-top 
Um, uh, what does CTOP stand for? Comprehensive Test of Phonological Processing? Is that it? it? I think so. Ooh, yep. nice. um, <laughs> and then there's a non-word, there are non-word repetition and like um, different phonological awareness tasks on non-words that you have to do. But yeah, I sometimes I like, depending on the kid, sometimes I like to just throw in those tasks, even if I'm not giving a C-top. Because um, very, it can be really telling. Yeah, especially about I find it's really telling about their memory and attention skills and how that's impacting the way they're taking in just general language information. Um, yeah, just interesting sometimes. Sometimes they'll yeah. just really bomb it. Yeah, I <laughs> read not a do well at all. <laughs> I read a paper once that I believe it was saying non-word repetition plus parent report of cons uh, so let's say poor scores on a non-word repetition task plus mm -hmm. parent reports concern about language development actually led to um it was more likely to lead to a valid diagnosis of a language disorder versus just oh, one of those which was really in i believe that's what it was um so that's interesting too thinking about how some of these quote informal things that we do can actually lead to um, potentially a more valid diagnosis than maybe just a standardized right. test. Right, definitely. Yeah, I think I I like to make sure that I'm doing just as much dynamic assessment as I am standardized assessment. Um, like if for if I give a standardized assessment, I want to make sure I've done sort of like a language sample or um, using the Leaders Project Slam cards in slam some cards. sort of way. What are those, Julie? <laughs> the slam cards. Slam Actually, what do, what do those stand for? It stands um, for like, school-age language assessment measures. Thank slam. you. Thank you. Thank you. They're slam dunk. They, they actually <laughs> really are a slam dunk, but um, they're on Leaders Project. And I love to use them. I try to use them in every one, every eval that I give just because they they give you so much great information and they have little questions in case you're like, oh wait, let me think of some comprehension questions, but you don't have to because they gave you the comprehension questions and they yes, make them for like cards. so many different languages. Ugh, yes, you know, they, so it's so true. cool. Um, so good. Yeah, but I, I, love I like slam. to, same. I, so I try to build, I sometimes I use my slam card just to help probe for data collection too. Um, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I always on one of those in the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I need Leaders Project to come out with another story because I've done these so many times with my kids, <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, the bunny goes to school." <laughs> the bunny's in the boys' backpack. You're like, yeah, but how does everyone feel about it? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love the bunny goes to school story. It is so yeah. good and so was, heartwarming. Okay, this is kind of a deep cut, but do you know the crayons? The crayons. The story? crayon one. Oh, yeah, the crayon. I love that one. Oh man, the crayon story is so good because it's so mischievous. And yeah, and, but it's so interesting. Sometimes students just totally miss like all the clues in there. As that to one what's really gets going on. into that higher level thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's interesting because sometimes kids will understand that 
the crayon, what, whatever color crayon actually drew in the wall and is trying to get the other crayon in trouble. They'll understand the higher level piece of it, but they might not have the grammar and syntax to express it. So mm -hmm. that's interesting too, when they have some of the social understanding, but not mm -hmm. maybe the word and sentence level skills to mm -hmm. express it. Because I feel like right. often it goes the other way around. Um, mm -hmm. Or where it might go the other way around, where they have better sentence level skills and higher level language is harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although, oh, go ahead, Brittany. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I use the slam cards so often for that test teach retest. It mm -hmm. takes five yeah. minutes. Yep. It's so yep. quick. And I get more information from that than any standardized mm -hmm. test that I do, except yeah. maybe the tills. But um, <laughs> showing them the pictures, saying, tell me the story transcribing it, giving them a model of, okay, your story is great. Here's a model of how I might say that story. And I'm going to use more specific vocabulary, more complex syntax, more cohesive devices, whatever I'm trying to target mm -hmm. that I noticed that they left out. And then I say, mm -hmm. okay, can you tell me that story again? And um, my understanding is that if they then do very well, Mm -hmm. with just a model that's telling me okay they might not need intervention they might just need right. more exposure to this right. but if they still do very poorly or do pretty much the same that tells me okay I'll have to look into this a little bit mm -hmm. more so and it takes yeah. five minutes it's so mm -hmm. quick so when yeah. you do that test teach retest you're doing the same story every time mm -hmm. in one session it's all the same story yeah. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm showing them yeah. the crayons, tell me the story. Then I'm telling them I'm modeling a more complex version. And then I'm having them tell me the same story back. Mm -hmm. Got it. I also noticed what's helpful is I started doing this. I started doing a, um, a test teach retest task with two sets of slam cards. So I would do maybe like the bunny story where there's six different pictures and I do that. And then I do the same thing, but maybe with just the crayon story or the guy with the his foot stuck in the subway mm -hmm. car. Poor subway um, guy. Yeah. And what that has, I've liked that a lot because what I've been learning is that some students will do well when there's a clear sequence of events and there's that structure in front of them. But when it's one more conceptual image, that's way harder. And I find that that helps me take what I got from their assessment and like the standardized portion and see how it's applying to some more functional tasks that they might have to do throughout their day or in school. Um, so I, yeah, slam cards are my favorite dynamic assessment tool along with just in like just language sampling or conversational language sampling and observation. Julie, I went to, I saw an ASHA poster one year mm -hmm. that said exactly that it said you'll get more oh, nice. you're more likely to get a comprehensive understanding of a child's language mm -hmm. i think expressive language skills from a single picture where mm -hmm. more is required of them in terms of generating the macro structure than mm -hmm. a set of pictures which was so interesting right yeah it's like that story grammar how much of it do they have on their own and how much of it have they actually relied on a visual cue of it mm -hmm. yeah but it's important too thinking about bilingual populations 
um, or just working with students from other cultures, narratives might look different across cultures. Mm -hmm. And so that's something we have to keep in mind. Not every culture's narrative is going to follow our exact structure. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Good point. Yeah. Um, this is something we had brought up. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I hope I say it right. Dialectal considerations. <laughs> So I'm wondering, I know, Kyle, you talked about that, about asking about dialectal considerations, but I'm wondering how much um, of your day or, you know, school year is given to education of school staff on dialectal differences. Hmm. You know, I haven't given a whole lot of staff education. The only time that I really talk about it is if I do like an Arctic assessment or something and you might have these bilingual or dialectical differences and so I would really explain that um, and say these are not errors these are not counted as errors on the assessment but you know these are just things that I noticed but I haven't gotten a whole lot of staff really like fighting back on that like they seem to be pretty aware of like the bilingual influenced errors. I will do some education. Um, like if I see some Spanish influenced English, when I, if I'm, we're talking about like grammar, sentence structure, story telling, like that kind of thing. If I notice any sort of um, Spanish influenced English, I will let the teacher know, like, this is Spanish influenced. Like, this is like how, mm -hmm. you know, I'm expecting it to be like, what, what are some double negative? Stuff. Yeah, like a double negative mm -hmm. is definitely one that's dialectal also. Dialectical? Dialect dialectal. Di di dialectal. Dialectal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe didiadokinetic dialectal. Yeah. Diadokinetic <laughs> What a challenge. <laughs> that is so challenging to say. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I think too, from working with families who are from Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic, that's a very different dialect of Spanish than mm -hmm. Spain Spanish, for example, or mm -hmm. even every country that speaks Spanish. My impression is it's very different in every mm -hmm. different yeah, country or even within be. that country. It can be. And so I'm thinking of this um, kid that came last year from Venezuela and I got his therapy notes from Venezuela. So we gave, you know, we went through the IEP process um, and I, we, he, he got an IEP, but I did at the meeting ask the parents, you know, I scored his assessment and um, at the meeting, like he qualified, but he was um, cutting off his last sounds and I'm not familiar with Venezuelan Spanish. Um, I, he's the only kid in this area that I know of from there. Um, so I did ask the parents, there was an interpreter at the meeting and everything. Um, and I asked the parents if this is dialectal or if this is, if they hear this and think that it's an error. And they said, mm -hmm. oh, that's an error. We don't talk like that. And I was like, great, great information. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So you can always ask mm -hmm. the parents, Mm -hmm. it's same yeah, with point. Arabic too if you ever get an Arabic speaking student each country's dialect of Arabic is 
super different. So um, some extremes are like Egyptian Arabic versus Moroccan Arabic. So Moroccan Arabic is very heavily influenced by French. So when I, like I can hear and understand Egyptian Arabic cause that's, you know, my dialect of Arabic. Um, but if I've spoken to someone from Morocco and they tried to speak Arabic <laughs> with me and I was like, I have no idea what you're saying at all wow. because the dialect is so different. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's similar to Spanish in that sense that there are so many dialects that you have to be careful because, you know, yeah, depending, especially when you're using an interpreter or interpretation service, um, or sorry, translation service, you have to know the dialect that your student and family are about to come in speaking. Yeah, and I, I've heard that that's very similar to France French and Quebec French. Mm -hmm. I've heard are very, very different. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure different from like French spoken in like Senegal, you know? So right. I, I feel like that would be true for like most languages. So it is important to know where your family is coming from. Mm -hmm. I wish that's one thing I do wish, you know, I, I think our grad school program was amazing. I do wish we put that heavy emphasis on parent interview. Cause I feel like that always just gets slapped on like, oh, make sure the parent interview is really important. And then here's how you pick a standardized assessment. But I, I do wish it was just emphasized how important that parent interview is or family interview is um, when it comes to your whole assessment, because it is such an intro integral piece. Yeah, and there are kids who might be classified technically as monolingual, but they might be bi-dialectal mm -hmm. and they might speak you know, main quote, mainstream American English, and then also AAE, African American English, or they might speak mm -hmm. Southern English. Like there's so much code switching that can go mm -hmm. on that will also impact our language tasks. And also the child's six, and I don't want to say success, but just the way that the child will present within the classroom and what might be, mm -hmm. they might require a little bit more support with. Um, so that's mm -hmm. important to keep in mind, too. Mm -hmm. um, something I've been <laughs> noticing. So this is a little, little off topic, little on topic. But another consideration, just in general, I've <laughs> been taking is those idioms and figurative language pieces on our standardized assessments, I find mm -hmm. tell us nothing because no. no one talks like I that anymore. I hate them. And I I find so like much. I actually just do informal assessments of um I guess since I'm a still like an avid Instagram and TikTok user, I know some things. Um so I usually just throw out different idioms that our population would use nowadays and see if they understand it in the context. And that tells oh, me way more than idea. like, than our standardized assessments do. Cause sometimes they'll be like, I've never heard that before. Um, but then My I'll give kids them other idioms and the idiom fine. portion of the castle every time. I always have to explain oh, why they have like fun. score in the eighties and then mm -hmm. this like 68. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's not relevant. It's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's yeah, a good idea of with using our bilingual kids. That are current. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something I've been noticing. Also why our dynamic assessment is extremely important because sometimes, 
a new version of a test hasn't come out yet. So it's a little like <laughs> outdated or it just hard. It's not relatable anymore. Let's move on to what's been brewing. Julie, what's been brewing? All right. So what's been brewing is just awesome episode planning. So stay tuned for some more fun topics. Um, we will not be doing an eval part three next, <laughs> next no, time. <laughs> so don't worry. Maybe we'll save that for the future future. We'll come back to it. Um, but we, we do have some more fun topics. And as we start prepping for our episodes, we've been thinking of lots of ways to get our audience's opinion. And we just want to hear from other SLPs. So just make sure to check our pod or not our podcast, our Instagram um, at coffee t 3 SLPs. And, you know, if there's a poll up, which we're going to get more polls and we're going to have more questions for you guys, let us know what you think because we want to hear from you. So don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Again, that's at coffeet3slps. Or you could also email us if you see something on Instagram that we're asking or have an opinion on a topic we've already talked about. Just email us at info at coffeet3slps.com. And we can't wait, we can't wait to hear from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's it. Okay, bye. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. (laughs) I was doing so well. You're good. (laughs) I got it. The views and information expressed on coffee, tea, and three SLPs are solely host and guest opinions are based on clinical experiences. This is for entertainment purposes only.